0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, yeah! well, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. Welcome to the Turn on the Jets podcast, as I'm sure you've guessed by hearing my voice. I am not Joe Caparoso. This is Scott Mason. And this week on the Turn on the Jets podcast, going to do a little something different. James Kuntz, one of the writers at turnonthejets.com, has gotten an exclusive interview with Jonah Tulse, who is going to break down some of the best draft prospects coming up for the April 2020 draft. So we're going to go to James in just a second. Joe is going to be back next week. But in the meantime, make sure that you're following him on Twitter, at jcaparosso. And make sure that you rate, subscribe, and review this podcast and my podcast, Play Like a Jet. Doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it helps out a lot. So if you can give a five-star review over on iTunes, would very much appreciate it. And with that said, let's go to James and his interview with Jonah Tulse. Hi, guys.
1: I'm James Cohns, and I'm a writer for Turn On The Jets. You can find me on Twitter at Fuego Jets Takes, spelled Fuego, F-U-E-G-O, Jets Takes. I'm really excited for this interview that we're about to bring you. In anticipation of the NFL Draft, there's been a lot of talk about prospects that the Jets could target. So I thought it would be insightful to hear about some of these prospects from NFL Draft experts. Today we're going to be discussing receiver prospects. And I'm, ex- I'm extremely excited to be speaking with Jonah Tolls, who is a senior draft analyst over at the Draft Network. The Draft Network is one of the most rapidly growing media sites for NFL Draft coverage and college football analysis, as a lot of you guys may know. Jonah, alongside his coworker Jordan Reed, is co-host of the Locked On College Football podcast, which I highly recommend. So without further ado, I'm pleased to present to you Jonah
2: Tulls. Hi, Jonah. How's it going? Hey, dude. What's up? Thanks for the great introduction. I really do appreciate it. And really do appreciate you taking the time out here to come, come interview me and talk about this draft class to me.
1: Of course. Of course. So why don't we jump right in? Um, the Jets are widely expected to target receiver in both free agency and the draft. The Jets receiving core is in a massive state of flux right now. Jamison Crowther is the only Jets top receiver that is signed to a contract for next year. Robbie Anderson, who is the Jets' best outside receiver, will hit free agency this year. He may re-sign with the Jets, but not before considering other offers. Quincy Inunua, the other Jets top receiver, is recovering from an injury, and we're not sure when or if he'll make it back. It's safe to say that Joe Douglas and the rest of the New York Jets front office cannot allow the Jets to enter next season with only one legitimate NFL receiver in Jameson Crowder. So looking to the draft, many analysts and fans expect the Jets to take an offensive tackle at 11 overall. However, in the event that none are available, wide receiver will likely be in consideration. According to your big board from January 31st, you rank the top receivers as follows. You have CeeDee Lamb at number one, Jerry Judy at number two, and Henry Ruggs at number three. Now, looking at the first two guys, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy specifically, can you talk about them a little bit as prospects and yeah. if you favor one in particular over the other for the New York Jets?
2: Yeah, so I think both are very similar in terms of their physical profiles. You look at C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, I think above all else, above all the receiver prospects in this class, you look at their route running, you look at their release packages of line of scrimmage, they just look more smooth than any of the wide receivers that we're studying here in this college football class. And I think the one thing that really separates Lamb from Judy is his ability to win at the catch point in contested situations and traffic. But I think Judy, you know, I, I think both players are very good at working in open space, you know, change of direction skills, route running, all of that, the, the, the nuance that goes into the wide receiver position. I think both players are pretty equal in that regard. But where Lamb separates himself is in that contested situation, those jump balls. And I think that's where Lamb takes the number one spot for me. But Jerry Judy, man, this guy is, I think, like Amari Cooper clone. Of guy who's not, He's not going to win jump balls for you, but he'll get open at will in man coverage. He's a man coverage separator. And that's what the NFL wants. The NFL wants guys who can create separation against man coverage because that's what the corners are today. Guys like Stephon Gilmore, Trevavis White, two of the top corners in the NFL. you got to be able to separate against these guys. That's why you see big receivers like Des Bryant start to die out in the league. So you need to be able to separate, and Jerry Judy can definitely do that. But C.E. Lamb offers that element of separating at the catch point not just the routes and man coverage.
1: In the scenario that the Jets go offensive tackle at 11, the team will likely look for a wide receiver on day two with one of their three picks. The Jets have the 48th pick, which is in the second round, and then two third-round picks, the 68th pick at the top of the round, and then the 79th pick in the middle. Um, Looking at what the Jets may do with that 48th pick in the second round, I want to pick your brain about a few receivers that they could target in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one is Jalen Rieger, who I know that you talked about really recently on the Locked On College Football podcast, who you're very high on. Could you talk about him and how you see him fitting into offenses at the NFL level?
2: Yeah, I love Jalen Rieger. I think this is a guy that is going to go a lot higher than people think. And I, I understand 48th overall, you know, that might be a distinct possibility now. But once we get after the combine, he's gonna run 427, he's gonna jump 41 inches in the vertical. There's gonna be a lot of hype around Jalen Rager. I, I think people, you know, they talk about Henry Ruggs as a first round guy. I don't understand why you can talk about Henry Ruggs as a first round guy and have Jalen Rager around below him. There can't be a round difference between Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager because Jalen Rager has more college production than Ruggs. I know Rager didn't have a great year this the past season, but his whole career at TCU He's had elite production in, in, in a power conference. Henry Ruggs hasn't had that. I know he's playing SEC guys, but one, is, one has college production, one, the other has not. They share really the same sort of physical profile. And Jalen Rager, to me, is a better player in contested situations. Um, so it, you, there can be a round difference in it, too. Right now I have Ruggs ahead of Rager slightly, um, just because I think uh, Ruggs runs a more complete route tree. I think he's more of an advanced route runner going into the NFL than Rager is. I think Rager is more of a deep threat right now. Um, than anything else, but I think Rager can really develop into a number one wide receiver. I'm not calling him Tyree Kill, but he can have that kind of impact in the right offense if he's used correctly. Like I talked about uh, mocking him to the New Orleans Saints. Imagine him with Michael Thomas in that offense. Michael Thomas dominates the short intermediate game with Drew Brees there. The one thing the Saints offense is lacking is that deep vertical threat. He put Jalen Rager in there and it opens up the offense for everybody. So Jalen Rager is, I'm not calling, like I said, I'm not calling Tyree Kill. But he could have that kind of impact for a team. It's just that deep throw and that presence who can really develop as a route runner like Hill did in his early uh, early years in Kansas City.
1: Looking at a guy who has a somewhat similar skill set, you could say, to Jalen Rager in Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver from Arizona State, um, who also has game-breaking speed. How would you classify him, first of all, in terms of how likely is it that he gets to 48 with the Jets? I know he missed out on the Senior Bowl. That may be something that affects his stock. But then the other aspect of it is how do you see his game in the NFL um, and like, what type of role he will play in offenses um, with respect to like, the role that Jalen Rager might, might play in the NFL in the NFL offense?
2: Yeah, so my favorite comparison for Brandon Ayuk since the preseason was Michael Gallup, who plays for the Dallas Cowboys. And he's a great number two option. I think that's why Ayuk's going to be at the next level. I don't think he's ever going to develop in that true dominant number one receiver for an offense, but he can be that solid number two option. And I, I think you know, with his speed and his ability to win after the catch, that's something that's going to be valued by every offense in the league, your ability to make plays with the ball in your hands. and To me, that just reminds me so much of Michael Gallup because Gallup can win with speed. He can win with a little bit of strength, and it's all after the catch, before the catch, with his route run. He's just a really complete player. There's not really one weakness you can really point to and say – that's why he's going to fail at the next level. I think Ayuk has the size, he has the length, he has the speed, he has the after-the-catch value that you want in a right, wide receiver prospect that's starting for your team. Uh, I think the one thing you want to see him improve in is a little run more complete route tree. He didn't really do that at Arizona State. Um, I think this is a guy that has false steps out of his stance. Uh, I think he just needs to work on the nuance of the position, his technique at the line of scrimmage. But other than that, he has all the traits you would want, you, you would want at a, a starting wide receiver at the next level. The thing with Iuka is, is he going to get to 48? Is he going to get to the Jets' second-round pick? I don't know. I think his talent suggests he should go in the first round. You look at teams like Green Bay at 30. You look at New Orleans Saints at 24. So There are multiple teams that need wide receiver at the end of the first round. But he missed the senior bowl because of a hip injury, I believe. And this is something that will need to be monitored when we get to the combine. because That's when we have the medical rechecks. And we'll hear a lot more about the severity of that injury going forward. So it depends on what the medical situation is, but his talent suggests he should be a first-round pick. But I wouldn't put it out of the uh, put it out of the conversation that he can make it to the Jets second-round pick.
1: That's really interesting. I mean, I know Daniel Jeremiah is one guy who's super high on Ayuk, um, but yeah, I, in my opinion, I feel like Ayuk would be a fantastic weapon to add to the Jets' offense and can make Sam Darnold's life a lot easier. Um, Moving towards a different category of receivers, guys who project as that sort of prototypical ex-receiver at the NFL level. One yeah. guy I want to get your thoughts on is Denzel Mims. I know that he was, you know, I think it's fair to say, the talk of the town a little bit when he was at the Senior Bowl, the um, yeah. way he showed out. Um, could you talk a little bit about where is his draft stock right now after the Senior Bowl and what type of skill set does he have um, and how will that um, play in, at the NFL level?
2: Yeah, so I think he entered Mobile as kind of a fringe top 100 guy. And then I think he walked out of Mobile, I think, as a day-two lock. Uh, it was really important for him to go against press coverage in Mobile because that's not what he did a lot against, in the Big 12. The only team that played press against him in the Big 12 was TCU. And that was his toughest matchup of the season when he played, played against Jeff Gladney. Um, so we wanted to see him go against press coverage in the receiving which is primarily what they do in those one-on-ones. And he showed out really well. Uh, it's something he really needed to prove. And he showed, his, he showed himself well as a separator. There's, no one can really stick to him on the hip pocket in man coverage here in Mobile. And you look at guys like Lamar Jackson who guarded him. You go guys like Dane Jackson. These are guys that couldn't be able to guard him in off-man or press-man. And these are guys who can both move. And I think Denzel Mims proves a lot of things to evaluators, but two things in particular. One, the press coverage aspect I talked about because, again, like he didn't face a lot of in the Big 12. And two, that he's a tall receiver at 6'2", 200 pounds, who can separate and move in, as a route runner? So I think those two things are really important for his draft stock. And if he can run a fast forty, which is what I think he's going to up having, because he's a former track athlete, so it would not surprise me if all he runs sub four or five. So he's not your typical ex receiver, and that he's just this, you know, that narrative of a big burly guy who's only going to be able to win at the catch point. He can win in a lot of different ways. I think he proved that in Mobile, and I think as a result, he's going to be right in that wheelhouse for the Jets' day two picks. And it would not surprise me at all if he's going to be one of those elections, because he's such a quarterback friendly receiver. You throw in his direction. He has the wingspan to go get it. He has the catch radius to go get it. And he can win in man coverage as a separator, not just as a contested catch guy.
1: How do you see him projecting at the NFL level? I mean, what's the ceiling? What's kind of the floor? Could you give me a sense of that? Um,
2: I don't want to throw out a player comp right now until I have one that I feel like mm-hmm. is good enough, but I will say though that I think he can be a legit starting X. I don't think he's ever going to be this probable kind of player, but I do think he can be, you know, I think his upside is probably a thousand yard receiver. I think he can be that kind of thousand yard receiver, 10 touchdowns, but I don't, I, I really think that if you put him in an X, you can play the X or the Z. It doesn't matter. I, I think this is a guy that, I think you just play your best receivers on the field, regardless of whether they're X or Z or not. I think a lot of people get caught up in the X Z stuff in the slot. Denzel Mims can play any of the three, I I believe. I think he's shown with well, Wait showed him mobile goods press coverage. He showed at Baylor with his production over there in the red zone and his ability to win in contested situations. I think you just play him on the field and see what you see what happens. But I think his upside is relatively high. I mean, this is a guy like I said, former track athlete, he's really fast. Uh, he he, he separated against man coverage, showed that against mobile. And he can win the line of scrimmage. And, of course, you can see him in the red zone. He probably has the best hands of any receiver in this draft class. So it, this is a guy that I think has a lot of upside. I think he'll get drafted a lot higher than people think. Don't be surprised if he sneaks into the top 50 just because of all those traits I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, so Jets fans, I think something that you should be thinking about is Denzel Mims isn't going to be a guy who we're going to be able to get in the third or fourth rounds. Like Things have changed a lot, especially in light of the senior bowl, and he's really going to be in contention for that pick at 48 if the Jets go offensive tackle at 11. Um, before we move on to sort of the third rounds and later rounds and people who the Jets could target there, is there anybody else who comes to mind as a possible target at forty-eight?
2: Oh, man, see, and there's a name that I want to throw out there that not a lot of people are talking about, and that's Brian mm-hmm. Edwards from South Carolina, and it's unfortunate he wasn't able to attend the senior bowl because of a late injury, but this is a guy that I think is really going to rise up draft boards, and, you know, he's, he really had a lot of good production in South Carolina at a really young age as a freshman, and really just carried that over. This is a guy that is, it just gets better with each season, and he's really underrated because he's a guy that's six foot three, two hundred 225 pounds, who doesn't get a lot of... Uh, publicity despite his production against sec and he's not just your big like extra receiver like i talked about who can't separate you just get the catch point he's a guy that i think is a underrated route runner he can win he, he win open space and he's a great player after the catch and his play strength is really advanced for his age and i think this is a guy that you know can really step in right away and play that x role uh, unlike Mims, i don't think he's going to be a z or a slot i don't think he can play all three spots but to me, Brian Edwards is a guy that can step right in right away and be a, a top red zone threat and a guy who can be a top run after the catch guy. So don't be surprised if he sneaks in that top 50 range because I think he's going to have a good day at the combine. I think he's a good linear athlete in terms of, you know, running sub four or five, uh, jumping 40 inches in the vertical. But I don't think, he, think you're going to have to worry about his ability to turn as a route runner. But in terms of beating guys deep, getting winning vertical, getting yards after the catch, this is a guy that I think is really going to surprise people. I know, like, I'm not going to throw out – in like DK Metcalf, his Metcalf is an absolute freak. But you look at the guy like who can win vertically, went after the catch, but won't be able to turn as well. That's kind of the same mold of Brian Edwards. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at how well he tested the combine. So don't be surprised if he's one guy that starts rising up draft boards really late in this process.
1: Mm, that's really good advice. I mean, I think I've seen Brian Edwards in maybe one or two mock drafts in Jets Twitter, um, but he'll definitely be someone that we need to keep our eyes on. Um, I want to look at. I would say it's fair to say that these three guys that I'm about to mention are in a similar category of that stereotypical X receiver with a big body can win at the catch point. And those three guys are Colin Johnson, Michael Pittman, and Antonio Gandy-Golden. Right. Uh, All three of them were at the senior bowl. And given the fact that the Jets don't really have that role uh, in the receiving core filled of that X receiver, um... You know, debatably Quincy Nunwa, but his injury status is really, uh, you know, nobody knows the answer to that question. How do you see these three guys, Johnson, Pittman, and Antonio Gandy Golden, stacking up? And how could they be at the next level?
2: Yeah. So it's really interesting because they're all, like you said, three very similar players. So they're all, they all fit that prototypical X role. And going into Mobile, I would have, I would have had it, you know, Pittman, Gandy Golden, Johnson, just on their film. Uh, I think I left Mobile thinking it was Johnson, Pittman, Gandy, Golden. And the one question I had with Colin Johnson going into that event was, can he move? Because he's a six foot six, two 225-pound wide receiver. If you know that guy, that sounds like a tight end. You know, that doesn't sound like a guy that can really play on the outside and separate against those top cornerbacks at the next level, especially when they're in off-man coverage. So to me, I mean, it, I'll, I'll want to really see how he could test those guys going vertically and turning laterally. And he did a great job. There wasn't really any corner and mobile like it really consistently stay on this hip pocket and it was really surprising to me to see how fluid he was able to run that kind of size and his play strength is you know is far superior than a lot of players in this class especially that x spot i i think one of the few concerns you have is that he only has like eight and a half inch hands that really really surprised me but this is a guy who still thrives at the catch point winning contested situations those jump balls in the red zone and he moves a lot better than i thought so colin johnson it would not surprise me at all if he goes somewhere on day two. Um, I think you know a lot of people have him more as a French top 100 guy, but he played really well at the senior bowl. It would not surprise me at all if he sinks in that day, day two range. As far as Pittman and Ganey Golden, I think both are similar again, but I think both have different flaws. Pittman, to me, is a guy who needs to get stronger. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who, like I said, if you watch the Utah game, this guy just went bananas. Thrives at the catch point. It only win vertically, moves really well. I don't think any of those are a problem. I think winning against press man coverage can be his biggest you know, hurdle going into the next level. Because again, he didn't face much of that in Pac 12. And, and that's where he most struggled there as a senior bowl and mobile during the practices. Uh, and Gandy Golden, I think it's like the opposite. I think Gandy Golden to me is a really strong guy. I think he's physically advanced for his age, um, his size, frame, all check the boxes. But I think you got, you got you know a lack of concentration at the catch point. A guy who you know drops a lot of passes. You're talking about a guy who doesn't really separate that well, doesn't move all that well. His forty times can to be really important because Gandy Golden to me is a guy that I think does a lot of things well in terms of you know his physical profile. Like I said, the strength, the length, much more advanced than a lot of receivers in this class. But the drops are a concern and the speed is a concern. Why well, I don't think the speed is a concern with either Johnson or Pittman. I think Johnson and Pittman are both good linear athletes. I think both of them will run somewhere in the four four eight to four five three range, where I think Gandhi Golden would be closer to four six. So that, I think that's the biggest difference between the three guys. If I had to rank them right now, I'd probably go Johnson, Pittman, gandy Golden.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was very informative. I know that Pittman, you know, in particular, obviously there's the USC connection with him and Darnold. I believe that there was at least one year of overlap between the I think the two.
2: there was, yep. Um,
1: so obviously no one knows whether that is going to factor into Joe Douglas's decision or how heavily it will. But um, I think he's definitely a guy that the Jets could target. I mean, looking at Colin Johnson and then Michael Pittman, are there any guys who are currently in the NFL whose playing style um, or the ways they win remind you of Pittman or Johnson?
2: I mean, usually look at the big receivers that have played, you know, and I, was, I think one of the few names that comes to mind with Michael Pittman Jr. is a guy like Marvin Jones, the guy who I think is a bigger receiver who moves well. Uh, I don't think Pittman Jr., I don't think he's going to be that guy right away, but I think if he gets stronger and a guy who, it is, again, Pittman's, Pittman Jr. is a guy six foot five, two 220 pounds, but I think he just needs to get stronger and needs to be able to play more at the line of scrimmage, getting off with a clean release. Marvin Jones has really done a great job of, you know, I think advancing his game in that regard. So I think that's what you want. I think that's what you would hope for, the guy like Pittman Jr. With Colin Johnson, it's kind of hard to imagine any other player, but it's kind of mold because you don't see guys six foot six at wide receiver anymore. Like I said, the wide receiver mold now is big, that guy, like a six foot, 200 pound separator who can win against man coverage. You look at the corners today, it's kind of, I know, like in 2012, 2013, it shifted towards the long corners, right? Deal with like the Des Bryants and the Brandon Marshalls. Whereas, you guys like like, Richard Sherman was big. Xavier Rhodes was big. Jimmy Smith was a big time player as well. Now the league has kind of shifted to the Stephon Gilmore, Travis White corner. That's kind of six foot five eleven 11-ish to deal with the guys like Amari Cooper, the Odell Beckhams, the Jarvis Landrys, all those guys who are a little shorter, who can win against man coverage. So, it's all about trends. I think Colin Johnson might be five years late in terms of the trend of being that big receiver, but there's going to be a role for him. And I think whether it's at the X spot or even as a big slot receiver, as a, sometimes a little bit of a move tight end, this is a guy that I think can really thrive in the right offense. So to me, i take Colin Johnson over Piment Jr. right now because I think he's more NFL ready, but I think both players have a high upside.
1: Mm. Okay, last question for you Is there any guy that fans may not know about for the late rounds who could be a high upside target or even someone who is a high floor, someone who you like in the late rounds, who you think can make an impact in the NFL who fans may not know about.
2: There's a name that I think you guys need to get very familiar with. Okay. And and, and his name is Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. Ah. And the reason why I say this is because he's not getting any hype right now because he didn't produce a lot of Michigan Thanks to guys like Wilton Spate and Shea Patterson playing quarterback over there. Didn't get much help from his quarterback play over there in Ann Arbor. But this is a guy who's a freak athlete. He's going to run sub four, four and he's going to jump probably the highest of any player at at, at the combine. He may jump 44 inches. Like this is a guy that's a freak (laughs) athlete. He jumped 42 inches, I think in high school. So this is a guy that can really move. He can, he's really explosive. He is. The thing with him is that it's all kind of unknown because Like I said, the quarterback play Michigan was so so subpar that his traits weren't able to be accentuated to the level to where his athleticism is. So like his production doesn't match his athleticism because he was kind of held back in the offense. But if he's put in the right situation and he's given, I think, the opportunity, man, he could be one of the steals of this draft just because he has all the production and traits you would look for in a first-round guy. In terms of just the physical profile, He's just as good as any wide receiver in this draft. If you look at his size, his speed, his athleticism, but the one question you have with him is the production. And I think a lot of people don't know that his route tree at Michigan was really just a slant, a goer, a screen. So a lot of people don't know what he can do from a complete route route running-wise. And it almost reminds me a little bit of Paris Campbell, Ohio State. I know different different molds of players – Paris Campbell's a 5'11", like 200-pound guy at Ohio State last year. Don Peebles jones more of a 6'1", 6'2", 200-pound guy. So different sizes, but similar kind of roles. Paris Campbell was kind of like a, a gadget guy at Ohio State, and he didn't really show his true potential as a wide receiver as, as on the outside. Or people jones is kind of the same sort of thing at Michigan. So you wanted to wonder, how is he going to look in those route-running drills at the Combine running run the full route tree, And how is he going to test? Because I think he's going to test off the charts. And if those two things, you know, check the boxes there. He could really rise in that late first round, early second round, right where the Jets are picking.
1: Mm. Wow, yeah. I mean, I think he's a guy that's been largely overlooked, um, especially by Jets fans. I don't see him in very many mocks at all. Um, But, yeah, he'll definitely be someone to keep an eye on because, you know, if he were to get to the 48th overall pick and the Jets go OT at 11, you know, he could be a future New York Jet. Um, Certainly we have a long time to wait to find out if that's gonna be the case. But um I just want to thank you so much for coming on here, Jonah. Um and I just wanted to know if anybody who's interested in following your work, um, where can they find you?
2: Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you inviting me on to be on this podcast and this interview, man. But uh yeah, so you can find my work at Joan at Twitter. And if you want to find my uh, draft articles, my draft content, you can go to draftnetwork.com com, where you know I'll have an article published every day. So just I Again, I really appreciate you uh, having the time to take the to talk to me today about the draft. And you know, it, it's you talk about you know when we when talk about draft season, it's just really exciting, right? You get you get to the combine, you get to the pro days. It, it's it's that feeling you don't get doing any other sports. So anytime I could talk about it with anyone else, man, I I really do appreciate the time you uh, talking with me today, and I just I can't wait for the draft to happen, man. Uh,
0: same here. Same here.